Do you recall a day where everything clicked into place, where the world seemed to move in perfect harmony and every task flowed effortlessly? Introducing you to London Nootropics, adaptogenic coffee blends, thoughtfully crafted to elevate and balance your day, delivering all the perks of your beloved coffee, plus the incredible benefits of adaptogens, which also help to dial down those less than loved side effects like jitters, anxiety, and that all too familiar crash. A premium mix of medicinal mushroom extracts and other potent adaptogens, each blend is targeted for a specific purpose depending on what you need. Flow enhances your mental clarity and focus, Zen is your go-to for stress relief and balance, and Mojo offers that clean, natural energy lift. It's the synergy between caffeine and adaptogens that works wonders, allowing us to relish the caffeine buzz without the drawbacks, ensuring a smooth, sustained energy flow. My top pick is the Zen Blend. It's a lifesaver for those of us who are caffeine sensitive and not to mention comes in the most charming packaging. So why not elevate your coffee experience with London New Tropics? Discover the perfect blend, find your flow and enjoy an exclusive 20% discount with the code Saturn Returns at LondonNewTropics.com. Hello everyone and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. Pausing this for a moment because I've got something exciting to share. Today's episode is brought to you by London Nootropics, the masters of crafting adaptogenic coffee blends that don't just taste heavenly, but they also boost your energy the right way. Now we all love that zesty kick from caffeine. It snaps us awake by outsmarting those sleepy adenosine receptors in our brain. But here's the kicker. Caffeine can hike up our cortisol, giving us the jitters or anxiety, particularly if you're like me and caffeine sensitive. But that's where the magic of adaptogen steps in. These natural heroes level out our cortisol, smoothing the energy boost from caffeine without the downsides. Plus, while caffeine tends to rush in and fade away, leaving you crashing, adaptogens extend that energy, keeping you vibrant without reaching for another cup. So if you want to find your most productive self with Lion's Mane and Rhodiola in their flow blend, Cordyceps in Mojo is known to increase our aerobic capacity, oxygen flow and boost ATP. So it's perfect before a run or workout or when you're feeling fatigued. So if you're intrigued and you want to dive deeper into their blend secrets and discover which adaptogens sync with you, try visiting their website. And because you're part of the Saturn Returns family, enjoy a special 20% off at London Nootropics Adaptogenic Coffee with the code Saturn Returns. Enjoy! I just kept ruining my life, basically. I would get into these hedonistic spirals whenever something emotionally challenging would, would come up in my life. And it just went too far, man. I just, I kept falling in love and breaking hearts, including my own. Today, I'm joined by musician, actor and poet, Jordan Stevens. Jordan is about to release new music and you may have also seen him recently appearing on TV in May Martin's amazing series, Feel Good. As we explore in this episode, Jordan was very young when he came to fame, and he and I used to know each other back in the day when he was in Rizzlekicks and I was in Maiden Chelsea. But talking to him now, he is 29, and it seems his internal and external worlds have changed a lot. I guess mine have too. I found him incredibly reflective, emotionally intelligent, thoughtful and aware. 
In this episode, we discuss the impact of fame through both our experiences. We explore hedonism, sobriety, how important it is to pay attention to our bodies, self-destruction in relationships and in life, self-reflecting, and the art of poetry. Just as a warning, we do discuss some tough stuff, including depression, alcohol, and drug abuse, and we touch on self-harm, so please do take care if these subjects are triggering for you. Before we get into this episode with Jordan, let's hear from our astrological guide, Nora. We've all met an aspect of Saturn during our lifetime. We have. Classically, it's the father, grandfather, big brother, or any overly authoritarian, masculine parental figure growing up. Then later, it's the school principal or our main teacher for the year. And as we become increasingly aware of society, it becomes the government, although never the king. You see there's a structure and a discipline behind this face of Saturn, which we undoubtedly all have gotten to know. Some of us, though, incorporate the lesser known side of Saturn, especially before our first Saturn return. We explore the rebel, the face of Saturn that in Roman mythology overthrew his own father and became an authority himself. We meet the face of Saturn that celebrates and leans towards hedonism as is partly portrayed by Saturnalia, a festivity that celebrated the god Saturn in Roman times around the 17th of December each year. We meet the face of Saturn that accumulates karma as is portrayed by the major arcana card, the devil in tarot, a card that symbolizes or ties to the earthly realm and everything that exceeds our wildest desires but also enslaves us if we don't exercise discipline. Things like money, power, glory, lust, and any other type of excess you can imagine. Even things like obsession. Then comes our first Saturn return, or a major Saturn transit, and it tests us with all of its faces. The face of the archetypal father, or societal expectations, or the devil. And we're not asked to submit to either of those faces, rather we're asked to incorporate them into our psyches in a balanced manner so that we may transcend their obvious expressions and make use of all of the aspects of Saturn to our benefit in our lives. The one that exercises authority, the one that solidifies our position in society, and the one that helps us achieve our desires without becoming enslaved to them. We step into full accountability, and in doing so, we realize that we create the life that we want, and that in a way, we too are Saturn. Jordan, how's it going? Yes, it's going well, I think. You think? Um, Doesn't sound very convincing. Uh, no, I, I, I have, yeah, I had a, I've had a very calm start to the year. Uh, I just turned 29. Happy um, birthday. Thank you, which is, of course, very much in keeping with, I mean, is that why the podcast is, is called Saturn Returns? Is this something? Absolutely. I've, I've heard I've heard that 27 to 30 is, a, is a, definitely a kickoff period exactly. where there are major shifts. I mean, last year was a bit aside of the, you know, fucking pandemic, I think. Uh, I did have, you know, some big personal shifts. I thought it was quite interesting. I think it's just, 20s are wild, man. Well, you're coming to the end of that decade. So what have they been like for you on a whole? 
I think my 20s have been, uh, well, I had a very fast beginning. I, like I've, it was really quick. You know, I was like already famous when I turned 20 and that was fun. Hedonistic, I'd say the mm-hmm. first three to four, you know, to 20 to 24. And then around 24, I think I started to grow up a little bit, to be honest. I think when they were in the public eye at a young age, you know, you, you, I feel like you live in a suspended existence. And, and I think a lot of, I had to have a lot of reality checks. And, um, and since about 25, I, I think I've been, I've been trying to wind down. If anything, I've been trying to uh, balance yourself. myself out. Yeah, a little bit, just because I think a part of me knew it as well. When, when I was younger, I knew that it wasn't going to last my kind of um, just like complete and utter hedonism. I think I had to, sort of stuff out a bit I was very destructive and so I have been trying to um venture into the depths um which often comes with patience and you know like therapy and I've done various courses in in kind of grief and um yeah I've been trying to I don't know what what the word would be I've been trying to feel things I think I think maybe that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, honestly, I was so high in the first in my early twenties that I, I, I'm not sure I was really feeling anything. If I'm being honest, I, I believe that allowing yourself to feel things and 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 recognizing your own patterns of behavior are are, are really important in in regards to I suppose some kind of personal harmony, maybe totally, um, and attracting the right kind of energy into your life. I guess you said you behaved quite recklessly in your early 20s. Yeah. Was that innate in you, would you say? And that that was just exaggerated by the opportunities and the kind of like um, suddenly being thrown into the spotlight? Or was it, does it, did it come as a consequence of being given those things at a young age? Um, I think, I find fame interesting. I, I find I find like the fact that becoming famous young, I, I don't think generally speaking is a great, idea yeah I I mean it might vary I don't know I I, I would certainly be tentative if I had a if I was to have a child and able to be the I don't know heading in a certain direction I would perhaps suggest you know approaching you know life in a a more marathon-esque way (laughs) just because I think a a slow build is is nice and so I think ultimately the reason why I think some young people achieve things quickly is because they want to escape something, you know? It's like, I remember when I was younger, in my late teens, I remember thinking, or mid-teens, I want to get me and my mom out of the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. I had an unbelievable amount of drive when I was about 15, 14, 15, 16. Like, it was ridiculous. I had no shame, anything. I would just totally, I'd enter every competition. I'd work my ass off. I barely had any friends. I just I just wow. really wanted to to succeed, I suppose, relative to my idea of success at the time. But to answer your question, the hedonism, I, I suppose, yeah, it would be a, as a result of perhaps not having grown up enough to know who I was mm-hmm. a little bit. Like, it's super fun. Listen, there's, there's a lot of fun to be had. But I did begin to notice that I'd get particularly hedonistic when I perhaps couldn't handle certain emotions. Mm-hmm. So I think I didn't have the tools within me to be able to acknowledge the effect that certain things had on me also I also people were dying you know when I was younger you know I'd like lost both my grands and stuff massive really important aspects of my being and and uh, just I needed to grieve these 
these losses and um I didn't even understand it as grief you know I was I was very on we go kind of thing mm-hmm. um and I, and I, I think by my, my mid-20s it caught up with me a little bit so through the the early part of your 20s it was just quite go 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 and I guess I mean I can definitely relate to quite a destructive way of being in my early 20s as well that was a constant seeking for escapism from what I was feeling and I yeah. think it often runs parallel with people that feel quite deeply and don't necessarily know how to like regulate their own emotional systems so they just go to things that are accessible in that given moment yeah of course I think I uh, yeah there's there's you get high, you know it's, it's a high or what you're chasing I feel like I was chasing a high um in whatever the, form well yeah and also what was so wild about my early success was that it was my first attempt and I think that's mm. I think that that's that's like in, which now is a blessing and a curse I guess yeah. well uh, yeah just now now knowing more about life I'm, I've looked back and been like that is actually really quite unusual mad. That, yeah I got rejected a lot I suppose in a micro way within mm-hmm. where I wherever I was in Brighton at the time and you know I just kept going and then <laughs> it was just I remember this moment where you know we'd made this video to down with the trumpets and we stuck it up on our YouTube and then you know these record labels started messaging us and wow. I just thought I thought yeah yeah right this is where I should this you know, is this how is, it happens yeah and then and then we put out an album and and um it goes platinum and we're like right wow. I was like yeah right this is this yeah is exactly, this is easy <laughs> right it was all very homegrown but it's the support system that I think was lacking a little bit because especially when you're young boys or young men there's a mm-hmm. hedonism is at one with the idea of power and exposure and I think it's easy to slip into yeah a, a wild mindset rather than a future kind of mindset but we never entered into the industry being like yeah let's be super marketable we wanted to just make music you know what I mean mm-hmm. and there was a point where I just felt like I'm not I'm not I, I wasn't ready for that that side of things I wasn't ready for um public expectation and and mm-hmm. critique I, I ultimately just wanted to make music um so I think I, I became destructive as a as a mechanism because I, I I'm just quite I'm quite sensitive to be honest you know what I mean I, and yeah. I think well that's yeah, the thing it's not to be underestimated job. being put in the public eye that way and scrutinized it from a young age and also because like again in terms of you saying that people don't quite understand what fame at a young age means if you haven't grounded yourself or have the infrastructure around you that kind of stability and have a strong sense of self which of course no young kid does yeah then how are you supposed to have built up the resilience for that kind of scrutiny yeah I mean, and I, I was a fighter I remember I was a fighter at the start not not literally I mean obviously I had a few scraps but I mean like I <laughs> I I used to you know argue with people on the internet I used to find it fun but what I was doing I mean I would almost say objective this is a, a fact, maybe, <laughs> was that I w- was running on anxiety the whole time. I was just constantly, but I would feel, I'd be fueled by it. You know, yeah. I, I would, I would run at it. I'd be like, right, yeah. Oh, what, that didn't work. Okay, well, let's do this or let's do that. Or I'd constantly wow. be trying to put out fires and fix things and create new projects. And I was just running at like a hundred miles an hour. And I remember one of my first therapy sessions, my therapist said to me, I feel as though anxiety is your petrol. Wow. Do you want to look into this because it might knock you? Yeah, because you know? well, look into it in a way it will knock you if you look into it, or as in like this yeah. is unsustainable. Both. 
Nah, you know what? She didn't even, uh, funnily enough, she didn't even, nah, she wasn't even like, you're going to burn out. I mean, I suppose that's maybe goes, goes without saying maybe I think, but she, she just said, look, it's, if we look into your behavior and we start to push at certain things that might not be a petrol to you anymore. It might, you know, mm. and, there, and then you have to replace it with something else. It look, I was, I think I was being productive at the expense of something. And instead I've, I, for example, right now I'm I'm a lot less productive than I used to be, but I'm still productive, and I I believe it in a more mature way. Mm. But my mind definitely isn't racing like it used to, and it, that first part of therapy was realizing that I was even anxious, you know, because it was it was your natural state of being. Yeah, because it's not anxious in the same as other people. Like Harley's really struggled with stage anxiety, or I've 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 you know my my ex had a generalized anxiety, and I've I've seen it in different. At different levels, you know. Well, it sounds like more like adrenaline. Yeah, I would just run at it. It'd, it'd keep me alive, kind of thing. So when we, once we start to look at why it was there and my body's response, what was it covering? What was it covering? If you don't mind me asking, <laughs> sorry, I asked. The reason I'm asking a lot of these questions as well is because a lot of it resonates with with me in in the yeah. way that I was when I was younger, in the sense that I didn't run off anxiety, but I definitely was. Um, I only knew extremes. Yeah, for real. So the the idea when literally when people said things like balance and I I was like, what what the fuck is that? Such a foreign concept to me. Because it yeah. was I just knew being like on a complete high or on a manic low. And I didn't really know how to be anything in the middle. So But you're 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 fascinating though, because I mean I we used to hang out a little bit when but back in those days, right? Like eight years ago. Yeah. And how did that feel for you? Like being, being, well, firstly associated mainly with a TV program that was bridging this bizarre gap between reality and production, which yeah. I thought was fascinating. Well, how did you feel of being exposed to the public? Well, I think about this a lot because when that show took off, we never really expected that it would, but I will be honest in saying that from... From being a teenager, there was a point when I was about 14 where I was feeling quite depressed and not like I fitted in in the world and like right. I couldn't find my place. And I would say that there was quite a conscious moment when I was like, I want to be a different person to who I am. I want to create like a different version of myself that won't feel the sort of depths of the feelings that I'm feeling and right. therefore I'll be happy. And I would say that, Made in Chelsea was like almost a manifestation of that wish because it was like right. a watered down sort of false version of me. And it was also very, like you said, it was very produced. It was like also a version that was constructed by producers and writers. And yeah. so that became very at odds with my truth. But there was also a part of me that like had wanted to project that into the world, otherwise I wouldn't have done it. But at 21, like, we don't really know who we are or we don't really have the confidence to be who we are. So we're, yeah. we're kind of trying to fit in with the world. And I think the whole point of your Saturn return is when you actually go through the opposite and you're like, I need to be who I am and I need, to, I need to be grounded in that regardless of what that looks like on the exterior or in terms of success. But you yeah. know that that's going to be more fulfilling. And I think that when I was doing that show... I was I was out of control. Yeah. Like my behavior was out of control. Like I 
was so reckless. I was so destructive. I was so hedonistic. Yeah. And it was like I was on a self-destruct mission. And I and I think I didn't have, in a way that you expressed a bit earlier, I didn't have the tools to regulate those emotions. So my response was like, shut everything down. And it really became a bit, to be honest, a bit of a monster for me, that kind of a perception that I'd created. Yeah, it is, it's, it's interesting, um, the, the nature of, public notoriety I find it I find it like you you're confronted by the lack of control of of your own image which I think is Mm. yes it's a a tough one I remember I read a book when I was younger and I've read it a couple of times again since actually called The Four Agreements by a guy called Don Miguel Ruiz but I remember in one of the chapters at the end he kind of talks about it's basically an ancient Toltec teaching about these agreements that would enable you to have a reasonably peaceful existence or or at least minimize the stresses you know yeah and in the end he kind of talks about how anonymity being quite powerful and him Mm. thinking that it must be incredibly difficult being famous and I I thought that I remember reading that and being like you get it well I don't know man because obviously there's loads of perks and you know I think a lot of I remember hearing a lot about people saying you should never complain about it and because it's um, what everyone wants from the outside but it's like Jim Carrey has that he says he was like I wish everyone could become rich and famous so they realize it's not the answer yeah for real that I mean that's that is an amazing quote for real I think it 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 gives listen it's a doorway to something but But it's not the answer well it feels like it it just feels it it feels like you end up in a space where you're just kind of chasing an eternal carrot <laughs> you know what I, mean? I know exactly. Because essentially, oh, sorry. Let me say, eternally chasing a carrot rather than the carrot <laughs> itself being this eternal being. I kind of like that <laughs> vision, though. <laughs> but I do like, think that, and I, I, um, I found this in LA especially that there's a certain type of person, and I include myself in this bracket, that gravitates towards fame because they have like a bit of an emptiness in them. Yeah, it's a void. It's like it's like you're Yeah, it's really interesting that. I think it's also something to do with I find for myself at the moment it's also something to do with being useful. Like I I I definitely want to be useful. I think that's the way I've approached looking at, at, at having some influence. It's like, well, yeah. I might as well I might as well give some a bit be useful. Do you know what I mean? Totally. Um but like uh, perhaps the elephant in the room in terms of fame or being in the public consciousness is that it might not actually feel as satisfying as it might look you know I feel I feel I feel the the biggest shift I suppose in my awareness which is what my therapist was, was probably getting at in those first few sessions is once you begin to like pay attention to your body and how mm. your body feels mm-hmm. about situations I think your desires in life adjust slightly and I think, I think that's what she meant by anxiety being a petrol and, and it being a choice of mine, whether or not I want to approach that. Because like even, you know, a lot of great musicians I know or artists, sometimes they'll be asked to do certain interviews or they'll be, you have to go and do a photo shoot or these kind of, or, or you know, in more extreme cases where people are being chased by paparazzi or whatever else. It's like, realistically, it doesn't feel great. And and the more you think about how that feels, the 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 more these shifts come in your life. That's why I would look at, like, say with drinking, 
Mm-hmm. I, I didn't mean to be sober for this long. Uh, originally, I wanted to just stop myself destroying myself. And then after about a year, I got into this space where I was like, instead of the thought process being, I can have this drink and have a really fun night, I would think I'm not going to feel good tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like I'm actually like my body actually isn't going to feel good. Like I'm, I feel like I'm poisoning my body a bit. And the same thing with Coke, with cocaine. It was like, I, it's, you know, everyone was doing so much of it. And I think like uh, you have to battle these thoughts in your head that will completely idealize a situation. That's what, I mean, this is what codependency really is, but it's, you know, it'll idealize a situation. Like, oh, I remember that one time when I had this great night rather than how did I feel all the other times where it didn't work out, you know? Well, it's also, it kind of, it connects as well to the fast fame thing or fame at a young age. It's that sort of instant gratification, you know, yeah. like I, I want this now I don't care about the long-term consequences. And as you grow up, you kind of have to start shifting that perspective into how is this going to make me feel tomorrow? Totally. And and I and I think uh, there was one one interesting parallel for me was I remember when I was growing up, I used to have this if I if I saw somebody living a simple existence, and by simple I mean quite routine or yeah. the you know, I I could see someone on a farm perhaps, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'd look at that and I would think to myself when I was younger, I'd be like, oh God, that totally wouldn't satisfy me because I would, because I I feel like I'd be too ambitious or something or pass some kind of complete presumption. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. On, on, on a situation or I'd never want to live in a tiny village because (laughs) I would just feel totally out of the loop or, or like I'd be, and the the shift in my thoughts to now is is so you know now I would look at somebody on a farm and think how peaceful do you know what I mean yeah. how peaceful that you that you are only the feeling the feelings within your body must be so calm mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily think I could you know just live on a farm I, I, because of the way I'm wired maybe I would start to get touchy I don't know but but your perception but of it has changed my perception has yeah massively changed it's like listen. I'll go for dog walk. I have to walk my dog all the time, obviously, <laughs> every day. And when I walk my dog without my phone, I feel this thing. I don't know. I just feel really, my body feels good. I feel peaceful. And it's only when I return into the chaos where I, I'm starting to notice how it, how it feels in my body. Is that mm-hmm. <laughs> I, com- no, so- I completely under, like, that was one of my biggest, um, and it's obviously still something that, I haven't by any means mastered, but over the last mainly two years, but like a couple of years was, I was at war with my body without even realizing it. I was completely disconnected from it. I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't allowing it to communicate That's with me. That's what I mean. That's what I was saying in my early twenties. That's what I mean. Disconnected from feeling. Yeah, I totally get that. So what I wanted to ask you, because this is something that I, um, that I think about a lot in myself is when I go through periods of depression and that manifests in the body, how much is that my body communicating to me about a situation versus it's just a random chemical imbalance? Because, mm, you know, the, the, dif- the difficulty between humans and animals is that animals don't have language like we do to go no you should probably still do that and you should stay in that situation so they'll just sense something physically and run you know they they respond off their instincts whereas i often feel as humans we ignore them yeah massively and and it's and it it becomes almost a craft or an art to return 
to that. I think about that all the time. And there's on this course I did called The Bridge, which I would firmly recommend to anybody, which is an emotional grief and trauma workshop. I mean, obviously we can't do it at the moment, but there's these, I think it's five or six tent poles, right? That, that, that we, talk, we talk about in terms of some, some kind of harmony. And I think they are uh, sleep, nutrition, exercise, community and solitude and creativity. Mm -hmm. Oh, creativity and nature. That's it, six, six, and nature, right? Genuinely, if I'm going through it, I sit and think if I'm actively maintaining a, a you know, a, a healthy balance of all those six temples and almost always one of them's off. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And, I, and then I think about, I think about in life how because of the system that we're in, you know, without getting too fucking, I don't know, like pseudo political about shit from my observations of the society we're in capitalist society whatever it it runs off people's inadequacy it runs off a kind of self-hatred you know 100%. Like the, the the more the more off center you feel the more likely you are to try and fix that feeling mm -hmm. but the the core things we need to survive are seen as somehow unappealing in our culture that's what's so mad to me like Kagi, we, we have to remind ourselves in a day to drink water. Do you know how fucking insane that is? Like water is like my, you say my animals, my dog will get up and just drink water. Na naturally, or go for a run, drink water. He'll get bored, drink water. He's just drinking water the whole time because <laughs> we all we all need that. We need to drink so much water in a day. A lot of our hunger is just dehydration. Totally. Like, you know, yeah. sleeping, you sleep better if you drink more water. Like, And then, you know, and that, they all play into each other. Sleep, another thing. Sleep, if you have like a, eight hours sleep for like two weeks or something like that right like a consistent night's sleep for two weeks it's something like nine times more effective than antidepressants or some wild statistic like that I know. you know and then and and it all plays into it if you're sad you're up against it because everything in society will be like right well if you're sad you deserve to have a bit of ice cream so now you've got like a sugar <laughs> rush now you're, now you're spiking all over the place then you can't sleep so much you know what i mean so you're or, like well, I didn't get that much or go sleep. and have a drink right you know what i'm saying and then you can't like get to sleep or your sleep's kind of broken or whatever and you get up you've had a drink you get up you're dehydrated you're already on a back foot you know and it's like with creativity, we have all this pressure of whether it's good or not. I mean, I'm a total victim to this. But, uh, like, we, we, whereas just the act of being creative is just incredibly healing. Um, mm. Community and solitude, you know, like I think we're in an age where we're barely ever alone. We yeah. don't even, I, don't, I think we've lost sight of what it is to be, to just sit alone mm. with no distraction. <laughs> like people used to sit in fucking cafes and just stare at shit. Like, See, that I is actually... literally my heaven. <laughs> and that of all those things... That, you, that that for me, when that part is missing, because I've always tried to explain to people, especially in relationships, it's a tricky one because I'm like, I, le I need a lot of alone time. And people are always like, yeah, yeah, me too. But I really do. And it often involves, like even today before we spoke, I was like feeling in a bit of a funk and I just lay on my sofa and put on some like spiritual music and just stared at the ceiling for an hour. That's great. And it That's made great. me feel so much better because I just... Like I need my energy to to ground itself, and if I'm constantly yeah. busying around and in other people's environment or like spending time with other people, I I don't know something like fuses and it doesn't yeah. work. When I get down or depressed, I usually spiral. I don't I don't I don't have like extended bouts of depression. I get, I get, I just like will sp sp like have really bad <laughs> like a really bad two days or something. Yeah, and usually the battle is that I've got this voice in me that will um, 
I don't know. It'll try and conspire to convince me that I've like fucked it. Basically, it will yeah. just like tell me I've just fucked it. And the, and Fuck one of the what? craziest life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just <laughs> fucked it generally. Just like generally. So I don't all... know I'm, I'm laughing because I literally experienced this last week, and it is it's that internal voice that's like you are terrible at everything. You failed. Blah blah blah. And I I literally forget like who my friends are when it happens. Yeah. It's like yeah. it. It shields you from reality and creates this this horrible space in your mind where you become a prisoner. And the thing is, once it's grasped you like that, it's quite hard to see out. Yeah. So you say yeah. that yours like it's two days because it spirals quite fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I was I can spiral in like a, in like an hour, and then I'm just in an like, hour. Yeah. Can you catch the moment sometimes before it happens, or like? As it's happening, go, no, 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 you can fuck off. <laughs> Honestly, if I'm being honest, right, at the moment, and I genuinely mean this, I think I can trace back all the times I've spiraled recently mm-hmm. to diet and exercise. Really interesting. I, I, as boring as that sounds, man, I fuck I'm saying it feels like an elephant. It's like elephant in a room, not an elephant generally. <laughs> um, is that like, is that, Sure, I can get knocked by things. Sure, I can get triggered by shit, right? But the actual spiral, I'll look back and be like, I might have had a coffee at the wrong time, you know, or I might have doubled up on a coffee that day, mm. or I, I'd, I'd gone like the last spiral I had. I'd just eaten sugar for like fucking six days. It was like just the, it was just coming out the back of Christmas, you know. And I, and I, I like to eat healthily because I want to respect my body and and I want to live, you know. And you know that so, that's the consequence sometimes. Yeah, and also, like, I'm telling you about feeling my body. It just feels shit. Listen, it's satisfying to eat things. Like, today I had, like, a, you know, like, a really wonderful fucking cinnamon bun or something from a local <laughs> bakery because I just wanted to treat myself. I get it. But but I, I made sure I, I did a workout today, you know, mm. because it's because you, it's, it's the balance. And the endorphins you get from working out, it instantly alleviates. It starts to fight those voices and you're not you know what i mean and it's just because you're because i'm moving i know it's just because i'm needing to move something around my body and i feel like it's it becomes this it's so it's so it's such a it seems like so irritatingly a, simple <laughs> yes that's what i'm gonna say it is it is so it's so irritatingly simple and and i i empathize with you too because when i was when i've been in my worst space ever and i mean like suicidal like fucking the worst 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 i i remember um, doing exercise and, and being very spiritual and whatever else. And I remember that feeling of like, oh, this isn't even fucking working. But but <laughs> in that space, the maintenance of that did did help me. And also there were other bits that I was struggling with. So it's like in that, in that space, when I've like, you know, done a lot of exercise and I've eaten right, I remember I was still drinking, for example. So I cut mm-hmm. out drinking. That made a massive improvement instantly. And then... Even in that case, is because I was so sad at certain points I wasn't sleeping properly, which is a really tough reality, and I have to just deal with that. But if I know that in my head, I'll go to myself like, as much as you want to believe these voices, which aren't yours, by the way, like don't just only listen to the voices that come up after you've slept well for a couple of weeks, you know. And it's like if you've done all of those things, if you've taken walks in nature, you've breathed in clean air, if you've spoken to friends, if you spent time alone, if you've eaten well, three meals a day, nutritious food, you know, if you exercise and you're sleeping and you still feel sad, then yeah, then there's, then there's something I need to talk about. But the chances of that happening, are, I think, are quite slim, unless it's, you know, unless there's something a little more neurological or um, 
Totally. Yeah. Okay, I want to also talk to you about um, alcohol because my mental health related to my drinking habits became pretty undeniable because in the same way that it's influenced by exercise or their lack of going and drinking to the excessive amount that I did would inevitably cause depression of some sort at some point. Yeah. Um, what was your, cause you said that you didn't intend on being sober. It just kind of happened. All oh, right. Yeah. What, yeah. what was that story like? I just kept ruining my life, basically. I, kept, I, kept, <laughs> I relate. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is the short version. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I would get into these hedonistic spirals whenever something emotionally challenging would would come up in my life, and it just went too far, man. I just I kept falling in love and and end up breaking hearts, including my own, from just. Yeah, just stupid behavior that I... I um, Sabotaging. Yeah, of course. Just a total sabotage and a total reflection of just a fear of... I don't know what it would be, a fear of intimacy, a fear of love, uh, uh, all types of shit that I've, I've mm-hmm. had to fucking <laughs> painfully excavate. But um, yeah, I kept falling in love and destroying relationships and, and doing it through the means of just not being able to... De- honestly, not being able to deal with how I feel about certain things and just instead getting totally trashed and then consequently acting really stupid. And then it would, you know, just cause this this fucking awful, like, it would just, yeah. And then the, there was a, you know, a kind of final time where it was a wake-up call. And also, to be honest, it, that that loss, that grief of, of, of losing that relationship at that time opened up grief of all Everything other... Else. Yeah, man, like, my, one of the first things I cried about after breaking up was literally my grand dying, and she had died, like, two and a half years before. And mm. it was those spaces, and I just remember one of the first thoughts being, like, right, I'm not, I'm not going to go... Because I could have so easily just been, like, all right, fuck it. Do you know what I mean? All right, mm. fuck it, I'll just drink more, I'll do more drugs, I'll get hedonistic, I'll have a bunch of fun, do you know what I mean? But, like, I just sent something in me was, like, bro, you can't... Do you know what I mean? Like, it, this, it, was, it was, like, the third or fourth time that had happened, and I'm, like, you, it, how much... It's so obvious that you're, it was, there's a shadow self of mine that needs to fuck off because not only am I hurting myself, I'm, I'm genuinely hurting other people, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's not great. I mean, listen, everybody's going to get hurt by, every, by some, somebody at some point, but if, it's prevent, if it can be prevented, do you know what I mean? Or if it can be dealt with in a much more mature way without there being, yeah, disrespect and betrayal, you know? Yeah, I guess it's acknowledging our sort of toxic patterns of behaviour yeah, literally. It's not, it's not um, a fun exercise by any means. And it's a lot easier in a way to just continue mindlessly. Yeah, so so basically it was it was that much. Actually, no, sorry, I drunk a little bit after. And then there was just this one night, man, where I was just out and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. January the 8th, three years ago, I literally was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just done. like that? Yeah, yeah. I've never been to a meeting or anything. I literally just was like, I'm fucking done. And then it's obviously with other drugs, it's, it's easier anyway, because that alcohol is the gateway anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'll dabble. I, I'm a firm believer in psychedelic healing. So I've, you know, I dabble in like mushrooms and I've done smoke yeah. DMT and um, this kind of stuff. But I don't think that's, I, I think that's healing. I don't think that's um, hedonism, but, but yeah, so it was basically that. And it, it was, you know what it was? it was? I think it was fear. You know, it was, it was, the, I was genuinely scared of myself when I was drunk or high. I was genuinely mm. scared of the fact that my mind could become so negligent mm-hmm. and so self and so 
I'm maybe self-centered, yeah. Dude, I, t- I totally 100% relate to that. And also mine definitely got worse and worse and worse and worse to the extent where I kind of would have these almost blackouts, but I was still animated and walking and talking and doing things that were so self-centered, you yeah. know? And then it kind of the next day, the shame I'd feel and the the fear around being like that, that I'm capable of doing that is is a terrifying thing. It's terrifying. But but what's, what I thought found even more fascinating was that the fear of myself was so was so powerful that it basically enabled me to become sober, which is actually not the healthiest thing. <laughs> like it's quite, it's, 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 it's almost a similar extreme. Do you know what I mean? It was like, it, it was an extreme response to an extreme situation. Uh, you know, there obviously are benefits to that, but um, I then a year later, or I smoked this thing called um, 5-MeO-DMT, which is the, the venom of a cane, to- of a cane toad. Um, <laughs> Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> it's, what it's, happened? I, I, the first part of my trip, I was, uh, I was literally, it was f- fucking terrifying. Like I can't. It was truly, truly. It was fear in its truest sense. And mm. but it was from that that I then went into this kind of state of bliss. It pushes you so far out of your perception of self mm-hmm. that if you're approaching it from just a space of like I just whatever I get, I get. Then mm-hmm. you, you know you're just left with this. I suppose kind of freedom. I remember I finished the trip. It was about 35 minutes and I just kind of burst into tears. And then I just went to my mate's birthday, you know, like I literally just, (laughs) I just went and I felt full of life, you know, and I felt totally like one of the things that I was left with after that experience was a a, a different perception on fear. But I remember when I went to my friend's birthday, I, I saw my other best mate there and he was like, you've just come from doing that trip to here. And I'm like, yeah, bro. Like they told me it was blessed and I feel great, you know? And he was like, right, that's crazy. And, I, and then I went, you know what? I could drink right now, right? <laughs> and I remember his face, yeah, <laughs> when I said that. He was, he, was like, <laughs> he was like, what's going on here? And the reason I said that is because one of the things I felt so clearly after that trip was my sobriety was so based in that moment out of fear, not choice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. like I was, chosen, I was genuinely scared of myself drinking. And after that experience, I wasn't. And so I just said to him, you know what? I'm not going to drink, but I want you to know that I could. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get could, that. I could drink this now and I could not spiral because that's the faith mm. I have in myself. And now I feel like there's that more of a point where I'm in a, a you know, a wonderful relationship now. And, and, uh, and, you know, I think I could drink with, with her, but, mm. I, but I actually just don't want to because I, I just don't really want to feel shit. That, that's literally it. It's not that deep, you know? Yeah, I totally get that. That's amazing. The thing that I wanted to talk to you about as well was how, you know, you put up a lot of poetry, which is amazing, by the way, oh, and a lot, of, a lot of writing. Is that always been something that's been a way that you, I look at it as like sort of dispelling, for lack of a better word, demons sometimes, because that's always been my go-to from a very young age instinctively that I would write poems that would sort of exercise a feeling that I didn't quite understand? Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it is for you as like an, a creative outlet and how long have you been doing it? Um, I've loved poetry like as far back as I can remember. Genuinely, my, my Granny V um, was such a big part of the reason why I'm a writer. And she, we, we used to sit down in her little flat in Finchley and she would you know, get me to recite Chicken Soup for the Soul and, and um, read me a lot of John Agard. And 
So I've always written, I've, I, I was writing poetry as well as writing raps when I was younger. I would do poetry nights in Brighton and shit. But the, the Instagram thing's interesting because the reason I even started writing notes on Instagram was because I got bored of my own face, you know? Mm-hmm. I like it. I like, because I like seeing my friends' faces. You know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I get it. I'm not like anti, <laughs> I'm not anti a nice picture of a person. But it's that thing of usefulness again, you know? My friend Mackenzie would always say to me, you know, that if there's anything you can do with this influence is to be useful. So I was like, well, what can I just do on my Instagram that might be of use to people? Like what would, you know, someone connect with? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I remember I had this piece of writing where I was just kind of in very short sentences just saying how I felt about quite large topics. And then it just popped off more so than pictures of my face. <laughs> and, I <was> like, <laughs> and I was like, fuck, man, like, fuck. <laughs> so I... I I've decided to challenge myself to write more of those pieces. And mm-hmm. um, I've always been a little bit tentative of being preachy or prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these notes I'm writing, I'm writing to myself as a response to a situation. So yeah, it is, it is what you're saying, really. I, I, I'll, I'll feel something and then be like, what, what is an interesting way of, yeah, of putting that down? Or, or I, I like writing... I like writing short sentences because when I was younger, I used to write really long, complicated ones. And also I like describing something in an unusual manner. So that's pretty much what it is. I wrote something for my 29th birthday. With the, um, with the reference to Saturn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love and, that. And I think there was one line in there where I said, I've learned not to buy lifeboats off people who can't sail. Yeah, I love that. And, and that was because I, I suppose in the, the year of, of me writing these pieces... I noticed there's a, you know, a real upturn in, in self-help, you know, I think mm-hmm. we're living in such a chaotic, wild world that everybody's wanting to help everyone else out, which is great. But it's completely unregulated. Right. And I do love that. But I think to the same extent, it's like, I, I want to be clear that, um, yeah, not everything you read is is necessarily a reflection of truth. And, and that I suppose I've been pausing to just... Yeah, I suppose to just reassess what I can say that is actually of use. Um, mm-hmm. now. Rather than just doing it for doing its sake. I think I liked writing, I mean, people like the short sentences I write because based, it's also just a, a complete visualisation of my mind. You know, I like the idea that I can just say something about one topic and then hop to another one in the next sentence. And you're kind of on mm. this continuous journey of just like, and that's what my mind's like. I just have all these thoughts happening at the same time. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, all right, Jordan. Well, thank you so much for joining me and being a guest on Saturn Returns. I love this conversation and I can't uh, wait yeah, to share it with everyone. It's a pleasure. Well, I hope it's been of benefit to some people and I've, I've, I've enjoyed speaking to you. I, it's, it's interesting where you're at, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, lo- like it's, I love this, the, the whole concept of the podcast and, and it feels like we've been on a similar journey. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think um, yeah, it's fascinating. And maybe we'll both find some respective farms. And just like, <laughs> I do want everyone listening though, just to just to. I really want everyone just to re- just just think about how how great nature is. <laughs> <laughs> but I, or, and also, I don't want people. I want people. If I'm trying to be useful in this podcast, I want people to just realize that, like, a lot of the states of emotion we find ourselves in, or inhibitory emotion, or or, or the kind of 
sense of maybe panic or frustration. I think it's it's so understandable because the life we live in is absolutely preposterous. It's it's so and humans are ridiculous. We are ridiculous creatures. <laughs> uh, and I just want people to just feel a sense of relief knowing that like whatever little spanner is in your works, like it is absolutely understandable. Because I love that. I love that. What is this? What is this? What is it, Kagi? <laughs> I don't know. I'll come back to you with that. What one. is this? What is this? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> Why are we not just cartwheeling through fields, man? <laughs> That's a very good point. I don't know. There was so much of what Jordan said that I was like, I know what that feels like. I know those thoughts. I know those feelings. And... It was really nice because the last time I spoke to him was like probably at a party 10 years ago or something like that. We were both in the thick of that hedonism. It was parties, it was alcohol, it was all the rest. And who knew that we were probably feeling a similar kind of way. And after all this time to be able to have this very interesting and thought-provoking conversation. And I particularly loved what he said about the bridge and those things that you need to check to see whether you're getting enough sleep, whether you're having enough solitude, whether you have your community, whether you're eating right, whether you're drinking enough water. And it sounds so simple, but it is so true. Just to be clear as well, psychedelic healing drugs are illegal in the UK and not recommended by most medical professionals. You can find Jordan on Instagram at Jordan F. Stevens, where you can discover some of his amazing writing. That's Stevens with a PH rather than a V. You can also follow our astrological guide, Nora, on Instagram at Stars Incline, and you can follow me at Kaggy's World. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or just share it with a friend. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varrell and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Thank you so much for listening and remember, you are not alone. Goodbye. <laughs>